What's going on, guys? This is Hostile Q&A number 12. I've been away for a little while doing podcasts with guests and doing the podcast with Luke, and I haven't done a Q&A in a little while, so I thought I'd tee one up. Uh, my voice is a little different because I have been sick for a few days. I'm just finally kind of getting over a cold. So if you guys can bear with the voice, uh, we'll get started. I have my timer set for one hour. I'm going to knock out as many of these questions as possible that were on Instagram. I think we have like 200 questions. I'm probably not going to get to all of them, but um, we're going to get to as many of them as possible. And I'm going to give you guys the best answers I can come up with. I'm going to try and go a little faster through some of the questions uh, so we can get to more of them. So without further ado, let's just get started. Question number one comes from Much Chumbo. Says, hey, mate, when you're off or during TRT, where does your total test sit? I'm assuming you mean during my, like if I get my blood work done, I actually don't get my test levels checked um the last time i had them checked actually i don't get them checked every time i should say the last time i got them checked uh and i was off well i wasn't off i was on trt so i was about 200 milligrams a week my test level on that test was somewhere around 650 so i think i don't know if that sounds about right or not it's not something like i said i normally check so uh c team C Team Captain says, what's your favorite holiday cocktail? Uh, I actually stopped drinking for a really long time um, when I was in the kind of the prime of my bodybuilding career. Lately, I kind of started to drink, have a, a drink here or there with the wife when we're out to dinner and stuff just because I'm, I'm not getting ready for a contest and I'm kind of not really in a growing phase right now. I'm kind of just kind of working back after tricep surgery. Uh, my drink of choice is probably an old fashioned whiskey with a little bit of orange peel and all that it uh it's good for me kind of like it's just sipping drink and that's all i really need kind of tastes good have a good time with the wife kind of loosens things up a bit once a week once every couple weeks but like i said just one or two nothing crazy i'm not getting like blasted or nothing like that but that's about it may fit 7-eleven says if you could spend a day with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Second question, if you don't like that one, if you could have anyone's life for a day, who would it be and why? This is probably going to be really obvious, but I'd like to be the rock for a day. I don't want to be the rock for a day. I'd like to hang out with the rock for a day. I just, and not to like fucking fanboy hard or any of that kind of shit. Cause I'm not like, I'm not really a fanboy. I just, I'm very impressed by people who operate at an extremely high level. <clears throat> the guy is, seems to be on top of everything. His training is at a high level. His, his business is at a high level. His acting career is at a high level. His clothing brand and promotion is at a high level. It's, his social media presence is at a, at a high level. It's like, it just seems like there isn't anything he can't do. and it's like when you're training, you know, you think you're working hard until you go train with somebody who actually trains hard. And you're like, oh, fuck, I didn't realize that my body could go there. And it's kind of the same thing. I'd like to spend a day. It doesn't have to be the rock necessarily, but that's the first thing that came to mind as, as for somebody who's on top of it all. I'd like to spend a day with him just to see what his day is like, how he, what the time management's like. And you know what the crazy thing is too? even with all the fame and all the success and all the business and all the 
impressive things he does. He still makes time for charity and giving back to friends and family and all these things. I just find him extremely impressive in the way he carries himself, the way he goes about carrying out his business businesses and all these other things. So I just want to hang out with him for a day. Not to say I hung out with the rock and take selfies and fucking all that bullshit. I want to see how he does it because you know, I try and do run my own businesses and stuff. And this is a tiny, tiny, tiny scale compared to what he does. And I, I just don't know how he does it. I don't know how he operates at such a high level and obviously has a great team around him, but still it, it takes a different kind of human being. And I, I just want to see what it's like firsthand. Uh, Nick Caruana says getting the new truck itch yet. What's the next build going to be? Actually, I am. I've been on auto trader lately. For those of you who follow me, who know me, uh, I have a car buying problem. My cars usually only last a year. And no, I don't have a secret. I usually just lose some money every time I trade in a car. Um, but uh, it's been about a year now with my Yukon. Those of you who follow me know I have a lifted Yukon. Um, I've been looking at trucks, thinking about an F-250. I don't know, thinking about a... a a 2500 Denali. I don't know. Uh, I've been looking around, but I'm also looking at maybe something normal now. So I kind of been looking at Range Rovers too. So I don't know if I'm still going to stick with the lifted thing or turn into a normal human being and get a normal car. I don't know. We'll see. The Yukon's still, I'm still happy when I'm driving it though. So I'm not sure. It, it, this one might stick for a little bit longer. Uh, Edward Zoita says, I have a problem feeling my delts working out, especially side raising movements. What should my shoulder positioning do? What shoulder positioning do you recommend? Um, this is a really tough question without actually being there with you or showing you in a video. Um, when you're doing lateral raises, for example, you, you say side raising movements. I'm assuming you mean like a lateral raise. You just want to pretend you're pouring out a glass, uh, pouring out a pitcher of milk, pitcher of water. So if you start here, you're just kind of twisting up and you're going to pour it out, right? So you're kind of doing this. Um, and that's really the motion, but with honestly, without being there, I can't. Without being there or actually showing you in a proper video, which I do have some coming out soon, uh, it's hard to really explain just in saying it. Jimmy Culp says, what is a good way to build my upper inner back, the spot between my shoulder blades? So you mean your rhomboids, uh, or between your shoulder blades, and you're talking about that piece through your, your trapezius below that you have your rhomboids um the greatest thing that i felt works that is if you do a seated machine row either a hammer strength row or a, or a seated machine row if you have a training partner with you get them to pull the weight and give you that extra stretch so what i mean is do the rep pull it all the way in control the negative when you get all the way to full extension have somebody pull at like a 30% or 40%. Don't, don't have them yank your arms off. Just give a slight pull to add more stretch and really round out your back. So really, really stretch out as far as you can and then start contracting back and use it like a spring. So you'll go all the way out, all the way, all the way, all the way, and then spring back, okay? So you want to use that power and aggressiveness on the way back through the movement. And then on the way out, have somebody, like I said, when you're all the way extended, have somebody pull at like a 30%, 40% level, 
just to stretch out your back a little bit more. And that'll help open up your rhomboids and it'll help them contract harder on the way back on the positive portion of the movement. Give that a try. It's probably the number one way I think uh, to hit your ROMs. It, it really seems to tax my back when I do that. I add that intensity technique. Lil Octonaut says, if I don't train for two weeks, will I lose gains? Yes and no. So if you don't train for two weeks, your body is going to soften up and kind of flatten out a little bit. Uh, if you keep your food levels high, if you keep eating all your meals properly and everything, you're probably not going to lose muscle, but you're not going to, your appearance won't look the same. If you stop training for two weeks and stop eating properly and everything, yeah, you're probably going to lose a little bit of muscle. You're going to lose weight. Um, just the thing about bodybuilding is it's not a, okay, I got there and now I'm done. Bodybuilding in the hardest thing about bodybuilding is not learning how to do it. It's not actually doing it. The hardest thing about bodybuilding is just staying with it and being consistent. So, you know, if you have a vacation to go on or something, yeah, take the two weeks off and do something while you're on vacation. If you can, if you can't at least try and get your meals in, if you can't do that either, don't stress about it too much. Like you're going to get your gains back when you get back to the gym and start training again. Like you'll, you know, you're going to, your, your body will fill back out. But if you're really, if you have a goal to put on a maximum amount of muscle, every day counts. So it really depends what your end goal is. If your end goal is just to look good. Yeah. You can take a couple weeks off. You're going to be fine. If your end goal is to um, put on a maximum amount of muscle in an off season for per se, or, you know, put on as much muscle as you can in a given amount of time. You don't want to waste those two weeks. You want to definitely get in there and use them. And uh, it, it would be, it would be detrimental to my off season to just sit out for two weeks. Uh, thoughts on HGH in general and for anti-aging. GH is a great, peptide but it depends what you're using it for if you're the average gym goer i don't think you need gh if you're a little bit older then yeah you could probably get stand you know if you're 40 to 50 you could probably stand to use one or two i use a gh a day to help you stay a little bit leaner maybe help your skin stay better help your hair and your nails and everything will just be more vibrant you probably sleep a little better do I think it's necessary? No, it's a, it's a, it's a very large expense. If money's no object for you, then that's great. Uh, and also, like I said, if you're the average gym goer and you're a younger guy, you don't need GH to look good. It's a, it's a really expensive, uh, thing to get, especially if you're going to get a good source or if you're going to get a pharmacy grade level, it's going to cost you quite a bit of money and it's not really necessary. If you're a competitor, and you want to get the most out of your body, I do think GH can help. I do think you're going to build new satellite cells in the muscle, which is going to, you're going to have to develop, but will allow your muscle to be bigger than it would have been um, with just your genetic, your own genetics. It's going to help you kind of surpass your genetics, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it's still going to take months. It's still going to take a ton of work. It's still going to take years to grow those satellite cells. but it's uh, it's worth it if your goal is to be a competitive bodybuilder and be on the the biggest stage you could possibly be on. Uh, like I said, if you're the average gym guy, if you have if money's no expense, 
sure, it'll help you lose a little bit of fat. Uh, it'll help you feel better. Uh, if you're older and you have no, and money's not an issue, it'll also help you that way. But uh, if, if money is at all an issue, there are much better ways uh, to get lean and not, not have to go to that level. Yar Cirque says, trained by JP, bangs on about not injecting into the glutes. Stating shoulders should always be used. What's your take on injection sites? Uh, I don't use my glutes. Um, I did when I was really young and I stopped. And it's also, it's because I'm competitive. Now, if you're not competitive, if you're not going to go on stage in a pair of trunks, then it probably doesn't matter. Glutes are probably the best bet for you because there's just a lot of muscle there and it's not as sensitive as some other areas. If you are going to go on stage and yeah, you're going to end up with some scar tissue there and some lumping and it's not going to look great when you're on stage. So you have to always decipher am I, am I competitive bodybuilder or not? Um, if you're competitive, shoulders are probably the best bet for you. Uh, a lot of guys use lats. A lot of guys use arms, triceps and biceps. I don't suggest any of those. Um, shoulders are probably your safest bet. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, like I said, if you're not competitive, then I would stick with your glutes and shoulders. You can use both. Tally Dunno says, I recall you saying that every year you would put five to 10 pounds of muscle to get to the size you are right now. Do you think you would have gotten there regardless of what cycles you've done? Because obviously some years you may have abused dosages more than other years, but still added the same amount of muscle. Um, no, I, I think everything I did got me to that size. Some years I put on more muscle than others. Do I think I used too much drugs and maybe I could have gained that muscle without going that high or that hard? Yeah, I do. Uh, there's probably two years. I could probably think of two years of my career where I, I didn't get the benefit for what I was doing. I thought, I thought more was going to equal more muscle and it really didn't. Um, so in that sense, yeah, but I, otherwise I do think the things I did helped me put on that muscle. I don't think you can just do anything and put on five to 10 pounds of muscle. I think there were, there was well, well planned and well thought out strategies each year. But as far as saying, was there a couple of years where I did too much and I didn't have to? Yeah, that's probably the case. Uh, the second part of your question is, is there a certain rule of thumb you stick to with anabolics? Uh, test, example, test, always double the trend. No, 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 no. That's fucking nonsense. No, don't, test not always double the trend. That's, I don't even know where the fuck that came from. Because you may only need 300 milligrams of trend a week. And you're probably going to need more than 600 milligrams of, of test a week depending on who you are. I mean, it, all these things are very, very, there are no rules when it comes to anabolics because all these things are very dependent on the person, how much they've done, how their body reacts to it, uh, where they are in their career, what they're doing, like what they want to do. Do they want to just look good on the beach or do they want to like be on the Mr. Olympia stage one day? All these things are very, very relevant. So it's hard to say that there's a specific rule for Oh, you're supposed to do this much test versus this much trend versus this much EQ versus, I, I don't think that's a, a valid statement. I think there's levels that I could point to that I would say, 
I don't know very many people that use more than this and get a benefit from, you know, each, each drug, for example, like I could say the majority of people I talk to are anywhere in the 750 to 1250 range for tests. The majority of people I talk to are anywhere in the uh, 300 to 500 milligrams for EQ or 300 to 600 milligrams for EQ. There, there are certain numbers, right? Like most guys aren't going to take more than one Andrew all day. I mean, there's little spurts here and there that guy, guys might push the limits, but there are some, there are levels that you just, I don't know very many guys who are getting a lot of benefit from going past those levels, but there are no specific rules. Like if you're doing this much of X, you have to do this much of Y. I don't, I don't know that to be true. Uh, Jacked SE says, how much protein can whey or whey isolates be part of a diet without negative impact? Uh, this is with an otherwise healthy and diverse diet. I've been using four scoops, 120 grams of protein during the course of the day. Uh, four scoops is not, is usually, I don't know what protein that is. It was usually not 120 grams. Uh, a scoop is usually 25 to 30 grams. So I'm not sure what. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. 30 grams. My bad. Wasn't doing the math. Okay. So what I'm going to say about this is my standard diet for a really long time was two shakes a day. I never liked eating in the morning when I woke up. So I would do two scoops in the morning with a bowl of oatmeal and maybe some peanut butter, maybe a banana. That was my breakfast. And I never liked eating by the end of the day. Before bed, I felt like I wanted something that was going to digest easy. I didn't want something sitting in my stomach. And also after eating like meals two, three, four, five, I just didn't want to eat anymore. So I would do another two scoops before bed with also some peanut butter, maybe oatmeal or rice cakes or something like that. Um, I think two shakes a day is okay. I think you can get away with that. I built a lot of muscle doing that. It, it didn't hurt me at all, I don't think. Um, I think I have done three shakes a day. I've prepped for shows doing three shakes a day. Uh, actually, a very prominent coach who I won't name. Actually, I can name. He doesn't care. Chad Nichols had me doing three shakes a day at one point. And it worked. It, it, it worked. It, I would starve because you just, when you're starving and you drink a 50 gram shake, there's nothing in it. it. It doesn't really do anything as far as making you feel full, but I don't feel like I lost any muscle and I got shredded with him. So I got up to three shakes a day, but do I advise that? No, I don't think it's a great idea. Currently I do one shake a day. And I think to me, that's the ideal. And where I place it now is post-workout. So post-workout, and that's only if I don't feel like eating. So right now, I have all whole food meals. And post-workout, if I don't feel like eating, I'll have a shake with some oatmeal and some berries or something like that. And I'll slam that down post-workout. Uh, otherwise, most of my meals are whole food. Sometimes at the end of the night, if I don't want to eat before bed, I'll have a shake. But uh, that's about it. But like you said, your, your four scoops a day, if you're splitting it into two meals, um, is totally fine. I think that's okay. As long as you're not, it says you're using four scoops during the day. So as long as you're not doing like one scoop per meal and you're doing four meals that are just shakes, I think that's a little much. Like I said, I think two, two scoops per meal. If you do two shake meals, I think you're good there. 
Matt Zillis says, can we get a podcast where you and Luke smoke a blunt and talk like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk? Um, I would be way too fucking paranoid to have to smoke a joint and do a podcast. I probably would be very silent and um, it wouldn't go over very well. So I'm not really a, a weed smoker. I indulge here and there with friends the odd time, but it's not really my thing. So Luke could probably do it. I don't, I don't know for sure if he could, but it sounds like he could. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it just wouldn't work. Coleman Lucas says, what's the best ratio of fats to protein and carbs in a lean bulk and how you use them and how you use to time them? Okay, so you're kind of asking me to set up a full diet, but the best ratio, there's no such thing as the best ratio. My ideal ratio in a bulk, in a lean bulk is 40, 40, 20, 40% protein, 40% carbs, 20% fats. If you're really trying to even go leaner bulk, you can go 40, 30, uh, 40, 30, 30, 40% protein, 30% carbs, 30% fat. But, um, I don't think there's a, there's no best. There's no best. I know guys who are getting huge doing like majority carbs and protein. And I know guys who are getting huge doing majority carbs and fats or sorry, protein and fats. So there's no such thing as the best. It's what works for your body and what you can stick to. Some guys don't want to eat a ton of carbs every day, all day long. And some guys don't want to eat fat because it ruins their appetite and everything else. So you have to do some experimentation and kind of see what works for you. Josh R. Bate says, what do you think changed in bodybuilding to give us the monsters we have today that were non-existent in the golden era? training drugs, or more food? Uh, all of the above. If you're saying the golden era is the 70s, then yeah, all of the above. If you're saying the gold, if some people think the golden era is the 90s, those guys were not as big, but close to as big as we are now. So it's not like that much of a jump. You had some guys like Marcus Rule and Jean-Pierre Fuchs and like Dorian Yates alone. I mean, these guys are just massive. So as on a on a whole, I think the guys are bigger now, but uh, there were just some guys that were just monstrous back then too. So it's just a, it's just an evolution, right? I think if you, if you take the golden era, which I do is the seventies, they weren't, they didn't know as much about drugs. So they were using steroids, but they weren't using the same amounts or using them in the same ways. Um, they didn't know as much about food. If you look at some of the diets back then, they were pretty crazy. Like, Nobody would, do, nobody would do some of that when you're dieting for a show now. But the guys also in the 70s didn't get as lean as we got now. So we're just learn more. I mean, it's the nature of any sport. The more, or any lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, bodybuilding. The more we look into things, the more we learn about our bodies, the more we experiment, the more bodybuilders try different things and learn new things, the better everybody gets, right? Once somebody does something, oh, I did this low carb thing. Look how shredded I am. Oh, okay. Let me try that. And it, so on and so on. And these experiments just carry on through the history of bodybuilding until we are, we are, we are where we are now. And the same thing goes for the make, making some of the mistakes we've made. Now, a lot of us, including myself, I shouldn't say a lot of us, some bodybuilders, including myself, ended up with distended bellies trying to get huge. I think that's a result of just eating way too much food and binge eating and that kind of thing. But 
we learn from those mistakes as well. So now we're kind of reeling back a little bit and making changes to go back to where we were in the early 2000s or the 90s to get that better shape to go with the new size that we have. So it's just a constant evolution where we learn. All we were trying to do is learn how to get huge. Holy shit, look at Ronnie Coleman. Let's try and keep up with him. And we all try to keep up with him. We all try to get bigger. We all try to put on a ton of size. And for some of us, it didn't go so well. And even Ronnie, the bigger Ronnie tried to get, the bigger his stomach got as well. But the nice thing is we all learn from that. So after Ronnie, it took a couple of years after that, but it started to be the common narrative that, okay, we want to be huge, but we don't want to have huge stomachs. So again, that's just another evolution. So I still think, I think the best is yet to come because I feel like one day we're going to have guys who are just massive, but still have the incredible shape that the human body can possess. So right now we look at beautiful shape and symmetry. We look at the nineties we go, look, these guys are humongous. They're 240, you know, like Kevin Lavroni in his prime, 240 on stage, beautiful lines, shredded, Sean Ray, beautiful lines, shredded, flex wheeler. But I feel like one day we'll have guys that are like that, that have that look, but are 250 or 260 or 270 on stage. And I think that's where bodybuilding is headed as long as we keep learning new things. Thoughts on John, the one and only Jellyman says, thoughts on John Meadows' new protein powder by Granite Supplements. I haven't looked it up myself, but if John had a hand in it, it's probably awesome. Uh, John doesn't put his name on anything that's not done with complete integrity and well thought out, uh, a well thought out process. So I don't really need to, need to look at it to know it's going to be great. I know his other products are great. Um, but yeah, John, John always has my vote. I, I just, the guy always stands for integrity, always puts his best foot forward and is always very honest. So I don't think you're ever going to go wrong buying granite supplements. Morrison Mass says, cardio for fat loss. Do you prefer lists or hit? Uh, I prefer steady state. I think that's lists. I don't know what lists is, but I think that's steady state. Um, I prefer steady state cardio. And when you say cardio for fat loss, I don't feel like cardio is for fat loss as much as it is to amplify fat loss. So I feel like your fat loss should come from your diet right? The majority of your fat loss, not all of it, but the majority of how you're going to lose weight should come from the way you change and manipulate your diet. Cardio is just an amplification. So you're going to burn, you know, an extra 500, 600, depending on how much cardio you do a day, 500, 600 calories. That's not going to be why you got shredded. It's going to help, but it's not going to be the reason. The reason is going to be a good diet. The cardio is going to be the addition to the good diet that's going to help you get shredded but I prefer a steady state. I'm old school, man. Fasted first thing in the morning, steady state, get on there, zone out 45 minutes, knock it out every morning. Gareth Hibbard strong says, how do you feel about the vertical diet? Uh, I think it's very commonsensical. It's a great diet. There's nothing, I, I don't know. I still don't know really what it is. Uh, I had Stan efforting on the podcast and the vertical diet to me just seems like, all very nutrient dense foods, more beef than chicken because beef is a, a higher nutrient density than chicken does. Uh, getting some vegetables in every day, but not too many. Um, getting a lot of fruits in because fruits are higher in micronutrients. 
I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a specific, like when you say Atkins diet, I'm like, okay, I know what the Atkins diet is. The Atkins diet is no carbs. Um, I don't know what the, I, I don't know what the category is yet for the vertical diet, other than it's just very highly nutrient dense foods uh, throughout the day over, over egg whites and chicken and stuff that doesn't have as high a high nutrient density. So I think it's a great diet. There's never anything wrong with getting more nutrients in your diet. Life Abbas, Life of Abbas says thoughts on natural bodybuilders and competitors. I don't have any thoughts on it. If you want to be natural, you're natural. If you're not natural, you're not natural. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever the person prefers is their preference. Um, Morrison Mass says an effective four day split. If you train Monday through Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, easy Monday, Tuesday. So you're going to go Monday legs, Tuesday, chest and shoulders. And then you're going to go Thursday back Friday arms done. Uh, let's go to the bottom of the list now and work our way back. Cause I can be going from the top this whole time. So work back the other way. Okay, so we got, wow, there's a lot of questions here, guys. Sorry if I don't get to all these, man. I'm doing my best. Nola7113 says, you gave us a highly effective explanation on how to train quads, high weight plus high reps, and why. I read hams are a mix of slow, fast, fast. Which parts are which, and how do you train them? I'm not sure which parts are which. I don't know necessarily what that means. Um, I train... I train hamstrings heavy, not high reps, but not low reps, just, you know, eight to 10. I work on negatives a lot and I work on a lot of different intensity techniques. So like one of my favorite things to do for hamstrings is four reps on a lying leg curl. So I'll get the weight really heavy, like a warm up and everything, get up to a heavy weight. And I go very explosive on the positive and very controlled or slow on the negative. And what I have my part, training partner do is actually pull a little bit on the leg curl on the way down, just like 20, 30%, give it a little pull and I'll try and resist and just still letting it down, but trying to resist on the way down. So I'm actually like firing my hamstrings while I'm letting it down. And then he'll force the, the next three to five reps. So I'll do that till I run out of gas, probably six or eight reps. And then he'll force another three to five reps after that. That's one of my favorite things. Blows up my hamstrings every time. Stiff leg deadlifts, probably the best hamstring builder. Again, I don't feel like doing it light is going to really build your hamstrings the way you want. I think the benefit to the stiff leg deadlift is the load under stretch. So when you're fully stretched out and you got two, three, four plates, however strong you are, and you're doing, you know, you're maxing out for failure at six to eight reps, I feel like that's where the mass is really built for hamstrings. Um, again, though, be careful with the stiff leg deadlifts. It's, it's easy to tear a hamstring. Make sure you're fully warmed up. I actually do stiff leg deadlifts second or third in my workout. So I like to make sure I'm fully warmed up and fully loose before I get there. I'm going to do anything heavy. But uh, those are two, the, like I said, the hamstrings are not the same as the quads in my opinion. Quads are heavy weight, lots of reps, lots of volume. I feel like the hamstrings are heavyweight, but moderate to low volume. So it's a little different. Working, working hard on the negatives too. The negatives, for some reason, I feel like 
I feel like controlled negatives or slow negatives on a hamstring exercise work better than for other, for other body parts. It's kind of like biceps. Biceps are like that too. Biceps and hamstrings, and they, they have the same movement pattern. That might be why. But I feel like negatives work really well for both body parts. Um, anabolic training system says who's the biggest most impressive bodybuilder in the off season you've ever seen Cedric uh, Cedric seems to retain his shape whether he's 300 or whether he's on stage which is fucking bad it's like nutty to me man Cedric um, we used to work the booth together at the for SciTech and we worked various expos and he would, you know, he'd walk up at 295, 290, 300 pounds. And he just always retained that pretty shape, even when he was blown out, which is crazy. Because if I get to 300 pounds, I look like dog shit. And I'm not comparing myself to Cedric at all. But, you know, most of us, when we're in the offseason, we put on, you know, 30, 40 pounds. It's not something to look at. But Cedric, even with the extra 30 pounds on his body, he still looked great. So yeah, definitely probably now he's probably not the most impressive as far as sheer size. As far as sheer size goes, I've probably never seen anybody bigger than Greg Kovacs. Uh, Greg Kovacs used to walk around like 350, 400 pounds, obviously not the most pretty shape, but just a crazy, crazy size. Like, you know, the guy's six, four, six, three, whatever, just Scott Milne comes to mind too. Scott Milne and his prime was like, you know, six, five or something like that. Six, six, just a ginormous guy. But if we're talking about the most impressive, as far as big and retain retaining shape, Cedric's probably the first one that comes to mind. Michael R. Heemstra says, does it really matter the amount of meals in a day? If you are getting all your food in like three or four meals versus six to eight, I do think it matters. It definitely matters. I know there's like science nerds out there that'll tell you if you get all your calories in, in one meal, it doesn't matter. It's just about how many calories you got in that day. I think that's fucking bullshit. That might count if you're talking about body fat, if you're talking about just losing fat or losing weight, whatever, that's fine. But if you're talking about putting on muscle, there is definitely something to be said for eating every two to three hours. You can see it. You can feel it. I can feel the difference in my training. I can feel the difference in just the way my body feels. Um, I can feel the difference in my strength. I can feel, I can see the difference in my photos from week to week and my growth or, or how I'm retaining my muscle when I'm dieting. There's definitely a difference. When I'm not eating my meals every two, three hours, I only get in three meals in a day. Everything suffers. And it's not in your head everything will suffer. And if it doesn't suffer right away the next day, give it a month. Do that for a month and see what happens. And then eat six meals a day, every, every two, three hours eat and do that for a month and see, measure which one's different. You can do your own experiment. You can take my word for it. Or if you don't believe me, it's very simple. Eat three meals a day, the same amount of calories, which in itself is not a good idea because you're, now you got to eat, let's say you got to eat 4,000 calories. You're going to put that in three meals. So now you're binge eating almost like you're really taking in a huge meal. So you're stretching out your stomach. You're probably not going to digest it as well. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Six meals. I can shrink those meals down now. So I get them in. I'm not stuffed. I'm not stretching out my stomach. I'm still hungry for the next meal. 
it's a it's just a much better idea even if you took away all the evidence of the fact that it works just looking at the amount of food you have to eat daily in a sitting and what it's going to do to your stomach and what it's going to do to your digestive system alone is is not a good idea but then you could factor in the evidence of what we're all doing now you can go from six meals to five because the difference there is okay instead of eating every two hours i'm going to eat every three and i'm going to make them all a little bigger they're not way bigger you're still eating every three hours instead of two so you're still getting a steady stream of nutrients in your body and aminos in your body so i think you can do that but if you start cutting down to four and three especially three now you're i don't know now you're going how long between meals five hours four hours i I just don't think it's beneficial at all Thompson993 says, what are your thoughts on macro versus micro dosing AAS? Uh, If you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said, it doesn't fucking matter. Just get it in. Like if you're going to do 700 milligrams of test a week, just do it all in two shots and be done with it. Or three shots max and be done with it. Um, But now I feel differently. I've done a little bit of experimenting now because I'm allowed up to 300 milligrams a week on my TRT dose, which is 300 milligrams is higher than TRT. TRT is generally 200 a week, maybe a little less, but I'm taking 300 milligrams a week. And I have been since August. And I have noticed when I took, I was doing a test E, I was doing 150 milligrams Monday, Thursday. And I switched it to probe and I started doing uh, 50 milligrams, six times a week. The difference was crazy. I couldn't, I can't tell you. I felt like I was on like a real cycle. I'm like, this is crazy. I feel like I'm on, even though I'm not, it's like still 300 milligrams, but it just felt different. It felt like everything felt more stable. Everything I felt bigger. I felt like I was retaining a little more water again. So things were rounder. I was having better workouts and my strength was going up. So I feel like there might be something to the microdosing uh, argument, I have to try it some more myself because it's just like trial and error for me. I just want to see. I have to try it some more myself on a real cycle, uh, not just this TRT shit. But so far, I feel like it's it's definitely there's some there's definitely something to it because I feel differently doing the 50 milligrams three times a week versus 150 milligrams twice a week. Uh, Exo Ninlex, I guess. I don't know. I'm interested in taking your full line of supplements for best gains. Can you tell us what supplements to order and how to take them for optimal growth and recovery from your line? Uh, we're probably going to come up with a ton of videos when we launch the supplement line to tell you how to take them and when to take them, but it's pretty simple. Okay. We're coming out with a pre-workout. So you're gonna take your pre-workout 20, 20 minutes before you train. We're coming out with an intro workout. You're going to take your intro workout during your training. Uh, we're coming out with an essential amino acid. You're probably going to want to add that to your pre-workout if you want it there. You might want to take it post-workout if you want to take it there. A lot of people like me use it for during cardio in the morning. I'll drink my essential amino acids uh, while I'm doing my cardio. Or there are some people that just drink them throughout the day to make sure they're always getting amino acids in, in between meals and stuff like that. So we're coming up with one of those. We're coming up with that product as well. And then we're coming out with a pump product 
which is basically a replacement for the pre-workout if you don't like stimulants because the pump product won't have any stim in it. So it's pretty simple. Right now we're just doing the four products, so it's not really it's not really too complicated, but those are the four products that I use the most. So that's what we're doing. Thomas Foley 2019 says, what's your what's recommended? What's the recommended time of day to take your GH? Is there a difference off season or contest? Still loving your shows. Thanks, man. Um, GH. Everybody says take it in the morning. And there is an argument for taking it in the morning. I do feel good when I take it in the morning, but I feel better when I take it at night before bed. So I think GH is best taken on an empty stomach. So the, the, th- the reason it's hard before bed is you got to get your last meal in and then you got to stay up for like an extra hour uh, at least depending on what your last meal is. So you stay up for an extra hour, then you can take your GH and go to sleep. A lot of guys don't stay up. They just eat their last meal and they go to sleep. So it be, wouldn't help you that way. So if you can stay up for the extra hour, I think before bed is the best time. Uh, contest, during contest time, I might do a little more. So like in the off season, I might do three or four IUs a day. During contest time, I might bump it to six. So if I'm going to take six, I'm probably going to do three before bed and three in the morning. So just break it up. That way I'm covering all my bases. Uh, in the off season, if I'm taking four, I'd probably do four before bed. Now, if you're going to take more in the off season, I think it's best to split it. So if you're taking six or eight or whatever you're taking, I would, I would go half before bed and half in the morning when you wake up. Um, CJ86 says, have you ever had bad blood fats and how to handle the best way to get back to good levels? I'm assuming you're talking about cholesterol. Um, There's a lot of different ways you can lower cholesterol. Uh, Red yeast rice. uh, It's a supplement. Let me see. I think I have it here. Here. Red yeast rice. Can you see that? I don't know if you can see that. Red yeast rice is a, is a good supplement to help lower your LDL. Um, I would lower a lot of your simple carbohydrates, a lot of your lower your carbohydrates overall. I would go on a low carb, low carb to moderate carb diet, eliminate all, a lot of the junk foods out of your, out of your diet, get rid of all that shit. Um, I would probably cut down on my fats overall as well and just clean things up or at least bad fat, at least saturated fats. I would, probably cut down on a lot of the red meat, cut down on a lot of eggs, stuff like that. Not, I don't think cholesterol is bad, but you just, you want to keep the ratio good. So your LDL to HDL ratio has to be in, a, in the right range. It's not necessarily about how high your LDL is. If your LDL is way high and your HDL is way low, then you're going to run to an issue. But if you, if your ratio is good, then it's okay. So you have to get your LDL down. And I think the red yeast rice, lower carb diet, Lower saturated fat diet will help you do that. Um, let's see. Dom Ray says, assuming the ingredients, doses, and full panel are identical, proved by certif- certificate, a certificate of analysis, what is the difference between a premium supplement company and a bulk buy cheaper company? For example, is the $30, 100% pure glutamine the same as the $15, 100% pure glutamine? Not necessarily. Um, okay, let's assume they're both 
100% glutamine. It depends if one is a branded ingredient or one is not. And that only matters because branded ingredients usually have more purity to them. So like vitamin C is not vitamin C all, all across the board, right? You can get cheap, cheap sources of vitamin C that might not have the same purity. Uh, their testing might not be done as well. You, you don't want to necessarily have this safety thing, right? You don't want to be, you don't want to be taking vitamin C that's not from a pure source. It's not fully dosed vitamin C. It's not the best vitamin C on the market. It's not all equal, right? So it's kind of the same thing with glutamine. Or let's say, we'll take, um, take beta alanine, for example. Beta alanine, for example, and we, we don't have beta alanine in our products. We have a different ingredient, which we'll, we'll let you guys know when the time comes. But uh, beta alanine, for example, you can get generic beta alanine or you can get branded uh, beta alanine. Now, branded beta alanine is usually called, it's carnison from what I know. And there are more clinical studies on the branded version. The branded version is a pure, more pure version. It's a cleaner version um, than the generic. So you can have 100% beta alanine and both, they can both say it on the front. But when you look at the supplement facts, it depends if it's a branded glutamine or not. It depends on the sourcing of it. Now, if it's not branded, it just says regular glutamine. If they're both equal types of glutamine and they're not branded, it's not, it doesn't have any specific testing or third-party testing or anything done to it. I don't know what the difference is other than one might be selling you a better label. Like, a, you know, they're, they're trying to sell you that they're premium, so they're going to charge more. But without seeing the actual label that you're talking about, I can't tell you for sure. But just know that glutamine is not always glutamine. Vitamin C is not always vitamin C. Not every company spends the same amount of money sourcing and testing products as other companies do. So, like, there's companies like Jaro, for example. It's a vitamin company, if you don't know. I know they, they do a lot of testing and they're known for having high quality uh, sourcing on their vitamins and minerals. So I choose to buy their vitamins and minerals over somebody else. I'm not going to name any other names, but that's just the, you know, like Life Extensions, Jaro, these type vitamins and mineral companies, those are, those are the companies I, I look for. So it's sourcing matters. It's not, not all ingredients are equal just because they say they're the same ingredient. It matters where they got them and how they were tested.